If it feels like the US is lurching from debt crisis to debt crisis, that might be because it is. Indeed, at the time of recording, Congress is considering yet again whether or not to raise the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling, of course, is the limit on how much money the US government can borrow. The debt ceiling currently sits at 31.4 trillion US dollars, an absolutely massive amount. However, despite the staggering magnitude of the debt ceiling, the US is still considering whether or not to raise it. And this in large part is because the US government operates at a deficit. It spends more money than it brings in in the form of revenues from taxes and the like. Now, in some ways, going out and borrowing money can in fact be a good thing. It can generate productive economic growth. It can be positive net present value, so to speak. But on the other hand, it can sometimes be a negative thing, particularly if it's used to kick the can down the road about tough decisions or is used to bake in a structural deficit. Whichever is the case, the US is routinely considering whether or not to raise the debt ceiling. And indeed, this is not the first time and it won't be the last time. At the time of recording, the debt ceiling sits at $31.4 trillion, but it's increased nearly exponentially over time. Now, this, of course, is in nominal terms because inflation is obviously going to need you to borrow more money over time. But even in real terms, it has increased basically exponentially over time. The US has been borrowing more and more and more and more money. And by the time you're watching or listening to this, the debt ceiling might be vastly higher than $31.4 trillion. Now, as I've indicated, this is in large part because the US is operating at a deficit. It's spending more money than it's bringing in the form of revenues. But at other times in the past, the US has needed to raise the debt ceiling in order to fund major expenditures, whether due to external conflicts or the like. Now, this, of course, begs several questions, such as how do we get here and whether there was always a debt ceiling? Why is there a debt ceiling to begin with? And what happens if there's no agreement on raising it? So let's dig a little bit deeper into this. But if you've got any thoughts about the debt ceiling, let me know that in the comments below. So how did we get here? Has the US always had a debt ceiling? Or is this a relatively modern phenomenon? Well, indeed, before 1917, there was no debt ceiling. But in 1917, Congress passed the Second Liberty Bond Act, which imposed limits on various types of borrowing. This then solidified in 1939, where they imposed a limit on total accumulated debt, effectively a debt ceiling. Now, to be clear here, the debt ceiling is separate from the budget. Congress might pass a budget, including approving various expenditures, but might not necessarily be able to fund that budget. And indeed, if the budget is operating a deficit, then they might need to go out and borrow some more money. Hence why they might need to raise the debt ceiling. That is a separate step from approving the budget. And this, of course, can create some controversies. For example, if there's a change in the government in power around the midterm election, then the old Congress might have approved expenditures, but the new Congress under the other party might not agree with those expenditures and might hold out on approving a debt ceiling increase unless they get various concessions. Now, of course, this has been controversial over time. So in 1979, Congress approved the gap out rule, which basically deemed the debt ceiling to be increased every time a budget was passed. But of course, this in turn was controversial itself because debt kept increasing more and more over time. So in 1995, Congress repealed that gap out rule. And that's why we're in this debt ceiling situation we're in at the moment. The question, of course, is what happens if the impasse drags on and the debt ceiling isn't raised in a timely manner? Well, we've seen this occur several times in the past, and there have been several consequences and several steps the US government has taken to try to manage its way through. So in no particular order, first, there might be a US government shutdown. Under a government shutdown, federal employees are furloughed, meaning they're effectively not paid. This enables the government to save a lot of money in the short term, but in the long term, or at least after the shutdown ends, it costs a ton of money, which you need to pay overtime, you need to pay back pay, you need to make up for the things that weren't maintained or weren't done during that shutdown period. It creates a lot of disruption. 
both in terms of income and revenue foregone during the shutdown period, but in terms of the costs of rectifying the shutdown period after it ends. So for example, there were 38 days of shutdown under the Trump administration, and these cost some $5 billion. But shutdowns haven't occurred only under the Trump administration. They've occurred under various administrations, including Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Obama, and of course, Trump. So under Obama, for example, there were 16 days of shutdown, and this cost $2.1 billion. The shutdowns are massively costly. There's something you would ideally try to avoid, if at all possible. Now, of course, that isn't always doable. Sometimes a shutdown is going to be inevitable if an agreement can't be reached. Second, there might be so-called extraordinary measures, particularly those involving Treasury. These effectively involve Treasury not funding things it would ordinarily fund in order to redivert that money through into other expenditure that actually needs to be funded right now. For example, they might suspend payments into the G Fund or the Thrift Savings Plan of the Retirement Funds for Federal Employees or they might suspend investments in the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund. Now, this, of course, doesn't really save you money. You're still going to need to make some of these investments at some point in the future. But what it does mean is it resolves a temporary short-term cash flow problem. This is basically like not paying your mortgage in order to pay off your credit card or vice versa. It doesn't really help you that much over the medium term, but it certainly saves a short-term cash flow problem, but isn't really a great long-term solution. Third, you've got the idea of just printing money, printing a trillion dollar coin in order to enable Congress to go out and spend, i.e. printing money to fund expenditure. Now, of course, this has several problems. It sets a terrible precedent because if you just go out and print money now, then the opposition party will do it next time. So it basically means you won't get this negotiation over the debt ceiling and you won't get this budgetary control you're otherwise trying to achieve. But not only that, it's super inflationary because you're just printing more and more and more money in order to defend increasingly large amounts of expenditure. It effectively eliminates, or at least significantly reduces, any budgetary restraint that might otherwise have occurred. Next, you've got the idea of the 14th Amendment. Under the 14th Amendment, it basically says that the debt of the US, quote, shall not be questioned. This is sometimes interpreted to mean that if the US has debt and needs to make interest payments on that debt, or has gone out and begged in expenditure, then that debt, quote, shall not be questioned, and therefore the debt ceiling can implicitly be raised by itself. Or phrased differently, the idea of a debt ceiling is simply unconstitutional because it would ultimately question the ability of the government to borrow more money in order to fund its existing interest obligations. Now, this hasn't necessarily been tested. Some scholars believe this to be the case, but of course it would need to be approved via the courts. This is something that would need to go through a court decision rather than necessarily the president unilaterally deciding that it is to be the case. Or phrased differently, if you're going to challenge the validity of a debt ceiling, you would want to take that through to the courts rather than just hoping for the best by ignoring it. Next, Treasury or the US government might try to sell off assets. For example, they could sell the national parks. Yellowstone is probably worth a ton of money. Or they could sell off stockpiles of gold, which they've done in the past. But of course, this isn't really a brilliant solution. After all, if you sell off Yellowstone, well, you no longer have it. It's kind of like selling off your house to pay your credit card debt, or selling your car to try to pay your mortgage. Once you've sold that asset, you don't really have that asset anymore, and you'll need to eventually replace it. Rather, you'd be better off having a longer-term solution, if at all possible. But it is, to some extent, a last-resort solution, if really need be. Now, if all of these measures don't work, or if all of these measures don't buy you enough time to pass an increase in your debt ceiling and reach an agreement, 
well, ultimately, the US could default. And defaulting is obviously not going to be great, because clearly, if the US defaults, then its credit rating is going to worsen. And if its credit rating worsens, then the yield on its debt is going to increase, and the interest rate required on future debt is going to go up. After all, if there's a risk of a default, even for just a short time period, well, borrowers are going to require a high rate of return for them to be willing to hold US government debt. And then ultimately is going to pass on ever greater costs to future governments and to future generations who are going to need to pay for those high interest rate costs. So ultimately is going to be ideal to try to reach a solution because reaching a solution earlier rather than later is ultimately going to be rather less costly. Now, to be clear here, this doesn't mean that one party should just roll over and accept any debt increase regardless of the circumstances. Rather, what it means is that both parties should try to work together to try to work out what the problems are that are creating issues with raising the debt ceiling and trying to come up with an appropriate compromise that avoids expenditure getting really out of control and future debt ceilings needing to be raised in a rather untrammeled manner, especially if the borrowings being requested don't necessarily generate positive GDP growth. The question, of course, is why is there a debt ceiling? After all, it creates a lot of complications. You need to pass a budget, then separately pass a debt ceiling increase in order to fund that budget, or increase the debt ceiling in order to fund interest payments on your existing debt. In any case, it is much more complicated than simply passing a budget. Furthermore, if there's a government shutdown because the debt ceiling isn't raised and the impasse drags on, then that can be super costly. So why then? Is there a debt ceiling? Well, there have been several policy rationales put forward. Some of these are more or less convincing. And let me know your thoughts in the comments below. But the main one seems to be to try to get in control of US government expenditure, to try to prevent Congress spending nearly unlimited amounts of money. After all, if Congress can just go out and borrow more and more and more and more money, then it can just keep spending increasingly large amounts of money, which ultimately could trigger a lot of problems for future taxpayers, because that debt will eventually need to be paid off, and that's a bad thing unless that debt is used in a productive way to generate economic growth that is more than going to pay for the debt that is being undertaken. Or put differently, is to try to avoid a structural deficit being baked in and that money being spent in unproductive ways that future generations will ultimately need to pay for. After all, while the expenditure might look nice now, while the welfare payments or whatever the case might be might be great now, someone will ultimately need to pay for it. And if those are funded with debt, it's going to be future generations that need to pay. And this ultimately can make deficits, particularly future deficits, even worse. Because that debt you undertake now, you're going to have interest payments that are accruing on that continually over time. And that could potentially get worse if there's a continued deficit in the budget over time, especially if that deficit is not being used in a productive manner. That is, it's one thing to borrow money to spend on infrastructure and things that generate economic growth. It's another thing entirely to borrow money to just go out and fund interest payments or to fund various things that aren't generating GDP growth. And the debt ceiling is to try to get on top of those bad expenditures. There are other policy rationales as well, including forcing both sides of Congress to work together, or at least to discuss their expenditure priorities. After all, every time there's a debt ceiling impasse, you need both the Republicans and the Democrats to talk together about what is going to go on with the debt ceiling. This is often acrimonious, often one party is seen to be holding the other party to ransom, and exactly which party you think is the aggressor or the malfeasor depends on which side you are on the political spectrum. But regardless, it forces the two parties to work together. It forces the two parties to compromise, thereby 
trying to drag the parties in from the extremes. Now, this, of course, isn't always successful. It isn't always the case that one of the parties gets any of their priorities achieved through the debt ceiling negotiations. But that's at least one of the policy rationales behind it. Now, of course, this hasn't always been successful. As I indicated, debt ceiling has just continually increased over time, suggesting that attempts to get on top of government expenditure haven't necessarily worked. And this is particularly the time at around conflicts or various disasters and the like, where the government just goes out and borrows more money, thereby creating a bigger issue with deficits and creating a bigger issue with the need to go out and borrow ever larger amounts of money. But those seem to be the policy purposes behind why you've got this debt ceiling in place in addition to the budget controls. But nevertheless, let me know your thoughts about the debt ceiling negotiations. Let me know your thoughts about whether a debt ceiling should exist in the comments below. And otherwise, thanks a lot for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe. And hopefully, I see you next time as well.